As a listener of the show, Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, there is nothing to fear except fear itself. And the Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm Nick Amell. I'm your host. This is the show where we cover a new top tennis list every week. Each episode, either myself or my sidekick host bring a top tennis list on anything supported with research and fun facts and sometimes some hot takes. The other person doesn't know what that list is ahead of time and they try to guess items 1 through 10 along with you, the beautiful folks at home. Today, my guest sidekick host is the returning Jerry Landry, host of the excellent historical podcast, Presidencies of the United States. Jerry, how you doing? I'm doing well, Nick. How are you? I'm good. Uh, right before we hit record, you were telling me about the garden. I think you said celery and cauliflower is the latest additions to the to your garden. Absolutely. We are getting into the fall season. It's starting to get a little cooler here in North Carolina. So mm-hmm. trying to keep things going, but also planning for the next season. Always. Always. I don't have any cauliflower or celery in my garden, but I do have the souls of the critics that have criticized this podcast over the last few years. Well, naturally, that's good compost. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jerry, I'm so glad to have you back. If you're listening, you might remember Jerry from episode 168 in our archives. Jerry was on then, and he had me guess the top 10 wealthiest presidents in the United States history. I'll let Jerry do a deeper plug later, but for now, just to give you some context to the listeners. Jerry has an excellent podcast, Presidencies of the United States. I'll have a link in the show notes. It's devoted to exploring presidential history from the founding of the office in 1789 on through the present day. I've listened to a lot of history podcasts, but yours is among the most thorough I've come across. So kudos to you and thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's what I'm here to do. Anyone that has even a semi-interest in American history or presidential history, you'd need to go check out Jerry's podcast. But right now, I want to get right into the meat, the juicy meat of today's topic, because we have so much to get to. Jerry, we're talking presidents today because we gotta. You're on the show. It's not every day I have a presidential history expert on the show, so I got to take advantage of your Of brain. course, I would expect nothing less. So Jerry, today, we're going to be going a little darker. Well, maybe not darker is the word, but a little more heavy than our prior list. Because today we're talking about the top 10 presidential scandals in American history. And there are plenty of those to discuss. (laughs) (laughs) It's so amazing. And it's not that I didn't know presidents and scandals go hand in hand. But when I started doing the research for this, it's like, we could have done a top 50 list if we wanted. There's just something about presidents. They just love controversy. Why do you think that is? Well, it's because presidential history is human history. It's all about these are people, even though they have the marble figurines, the subjects on the pedestal, they're all people. And so naturally, we've got some darker parts of history and some do go pretty dark. So I'm interested to see who is ending up on this list. It's important that we get through some of these caveats that I have. So This episode that we're doing, it's going to be released the first week of November, right around election season, which is what I think good timing. And let's agree, I think most people listening to this podcast in particular would agree that Donald Trump would be probably numbers one through 10 on the list. But we're going to exclude him because I don't want to do a full hour plus of just Trump. So Trump and Trump scandals are not on this list. They're just disqualified. Thank you, Nick. (laughs) Yes, you're welcome. And if anyone wants to hear me talk shit on Trump, that should just listen to any other episode in the entire archive of Tennis Podcast. But I thought I'd give it a rest this time. 
So this comes, the list itself comes from World Atlas, although I also pulled some stuff from Wonders List, US News, SheKnows.com, HistoryDaily.org, sorry, and Wikipedia. So the World Atlas list says, US political history is a road of great ups and great downs. Still, there is nothing quite like a presidential scandal to catch the interest of the public eye. Interestingly, scandals involving presidents have been around long before the modern media we know today. The 10 scandals involving U.S. presidents have stood out as the most shocking ones. So this is an opinion list. This is the opinion of the editors of World Atlas. But from all the lists I looked at, and there's, I looked through probably 10 or 12 lists, this one seemed to be the most interesting one. So be that as it is. I think you in particular, since you have such a vast knowledge of presidential history, will, I don't think you have a problem guessing at least most of these. And the listeners, probably familiar with at least a few. So. There we go. Jerry, what do you think? One question that I have. So these are just scandals that are directly involving the president, because that's a part of presidential history that we cover on the podcast, that it's not just about the president. It's about his administration as well, Mm -hmm. right? That's a good question. I'm thinking that um, there's one or two in particular. In fact, I'm trying to find it here. There's one, number five in particular. Maybe we'll just cover that first. But that one... No, I guess the president was involved by the end. So I'm going to say that, yes, the president is directly involved with all these. Although at times, it's not that the president himself did something, but sometimes he's covering something up after the fact that was done by his administration. All right. I think I can work with that. So uh, what do you got? Besides, and besides, we all know number one is Obama in his blue suit or whatever suit color that was in well, 2000, whatever. Naturally. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a guess. First guess, and this is uh, just top 10, right? Top 10, according to the editors of worldatlas.com. And I'm, it's so interesting because this is such a mix of like, how do I put this? Like, kind of just on the grand scheme of things, not a big deal scandals mm-hmm. or just things involving the personal life of the president. I'm sure everyone listening is thinking of one in particular fairly recently. Yes. But some of these are much more serious and involve like hundreds or thousands of people. So it's just interesting. So I've got a few that I'm already thinking should be at the top of the list. I don't necessarily want to go with those first. Yeah. But let's go with a more obscure one and we'll see if this is on the list. Grover Cleveland and Mama, Where's Your Pa? That's on here, but I want you to give the folks at home like a Two to four sentence overview of what that means. Absolutely. So when Grover Cleveland became president, he was actually a bachelor, but there was a rumor that he had fathered a child out of wedlock. And considering that this was the the end of the 19th century, this was, of course, a big deal. And so the campaign slogan became, Mama, where's your pa? And Cleveland supporters responded with, off to the White House, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) I'm sorry, but for 1800s Americans, that's pretty fucking good. That's pretty clever. You got to admit, that's beautiful. I've forgotten the comeback on that. Well, it worked. It worked. He he ended up in the White House. (laughs) More than once. Let's get to it. So this is number four on the list. The scandal happened to Grover Cleveland during his first presidential campaign in 1884. The information broke out that he had an illegitimate 10-year-old son. 
Grover Cleveland admitted it, and even though it caused a public scandal, he was still elected president. Now, I have more, but I want to pause there. I find it so fascinating that in the late 1800s, there's no radio, there's no TV, there's no internet. I think phones, like, I think the phone may have been invented, but it definitely wasn't in widespread uh, like it is now. So, this is newspaper, and I guess that's it. I mean, maybe postal mail. But, like, the fact that a scandal can break out nationwide pre-modern media is just so fascinating to me. It's always been there in all of human history, as you said. Well, and it shows just how fascinated people were, and especially in America, even from the early days of the Republic, newspapers were a, an important way of disseminating information, and in this case, disseminating scandal. And it's interesting to see how it's evolved. You know, even if folks couldn't read, folks would go to the, ta- the local tavern and somebody right. would read out the newspaper to them. And people got interested in the news, and especially when it was scandalous. Mm-hmm. Kind of on this note, I, I know like with elections, I've heard that uh, back in this time, it might be months before you in your little town found out who won the presidential election. So by the time some of these folks in rural, well, you brought up North Carolina. So in rural North Carolina heard about this scandal, this is like six scandals ago by the time they hear it, you know, because the news travels so slow. Exactly. Yeah. At least by that point, they had the railroads that were actually making news travel Mm. a bit faster. And they also had telegraph. Telephones were starting to get popular, but it was really more telegraph and railroads. But the speed of news was going faster at that point. So Grover admitted this scandal that he had an illegitimate son. We'll call it. That's what it's known as from his first presidency. But he gave the child child support, and later when she was no longer, let's see, his mother was no longer capable to raise the child, Cleveland put the child in an orphanage. His honesty and candor worked in his favor. He got elected not only once, but twice. In fact, he's the only president in U.S. history who served two non-sequential terms. I wonder if that'll ever happen again. Let's hope not in modern history. The right might say Trump, (laughs) right? I am definitely for that not happening. Like, yeah, yeah, well, we don't have to get into it, but I think there's some cons that go along with that. But President Grover Cleveland's illegitimate son, I mean, in some ways it sounds so silly to be a scandal, but on the other hand, right or wrong, if it came out today that Joe Biden, who's president today, had an illegitimate son, you know that the right-wing news media would have a field day with that. Oh, yes. So it also speaks to one of the things with political scandals Usually the cover-up is even worse than the original scandal. And the fact that Cleveland was just like, you know what? It is what it is. It actually helped him in the long run. And it worked. He became president. He lost the presidency, barely. And then he became president again. He was a political force for Mm 12-plus years. It worked. He survived the scandal. Yeah, the scandal broke in his first presidency. Mm -hmm. And he was still able to live through that, and then come back later. Who was the president between his two terms? Benjamin Harrison. Oh, Harrison. Yeah. Okay. Number 23. Okay, so that was number four. What else you got? So let's see. Let's go with Iran-Contra. Iran-Contra. Do you think that is above or below Cleveland's illegitimate child? I'm thinking that may be a bit below... 
but not too much. I'm thinking it may be that number five that you mentioned. So, Jerry, do you have any friends that might be presidential history experts that I could maybe get on the show to guess this list that might know what they're talking about? <laughs> the look on your face, I couldn't Quite a few. <laughs> well, so clearly, you don't know what you're talking about since you got that number so wrong. I'm just kidding with you. Number three is the number Iran three. Contra affair. Yes, sir. Uh, right above uh, the last one. So, the Iran Contra affair, many of our listeners might be asking, what is that? It's actually fairly, well, not fairly, it's very recent as far as presidential history goes. 1986, Ronald Reagan. To the concern of the Democratic Party, President Ronald Reagan's plan for his second term was to support foreign anti-communist organizations worldwide. In 1982, Democrats passed the Boland Amendment, thus limiting U.S. engagement in international conflict. But at the same time, Iran and Iraq were at war, and Iran wanted to purchase weapons from the U.S. Side note, Iran and Iraq, those two countries have the exact same spelling other than the last letter. Of course they're going to go to war. They should have known that when they named the countries. Of course, naturally. Yeah, it's just the natural order of things. If there was a United States and above us was not Canada, but the United Fates, we would have gone to war with them by now. But Canada's still probably not safe. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've, we've done that before. We'll do it again. <laughs> yeah, just give it a matter of time. Anyway, so Iran and Iraq are at war and they want to purchase weapons from the U.S. Reagan's administration broke the trade embargo with Iran and sold them the weapons. When this deal became public in 1986, the investigation showed that the portion of the arms deal went to financing the Contras, a right-wing extremist and militant group in Nicaragua. I can never say that. Help me out. Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Yeah, yeah. That one. So, (laughs) tell me about this uh, scandal. What, What are your thoughts on this? I'll go ahead and date myself here. I vaguely remember this from my childhood. I remember watching the news and them talking about Iran-Contra, and I was like, what in the world is this? And so Mm -hmm. it took 20-something years before I was finally able to dive into the research and figure out, okay, well, what is this thing that everybody was talking about when I was a kid? On the one hand, it just seems like this really, really, you dreamed up this harebrained scheme? Yeah. And you didn't think that anybody was going to find out with all these different moving parts and all these people involved. But at the same time, there's also so many questions about what Reagan knew and when. And it ultimately comes out, and that was part of the scandal of it, was this was when Reagan, people start to question, you know, is, does he really have it? He had already been... He was the oldest president Mm. at that point, and there were already questions of, well, can he truly serve as president? And you have all this going on, and Reagan's denying it, and I don't know what was really happening. And Yeah. If I gave any instructions, I don't remember, and that's not what you want. Not a good look. That's not what you yeah. want a president to say, and especially a president who has the nuclear codes right next to them. <laughs> you really don't want to hear that. Yeah. So the note I have here, 14 Reagan administration figures were charged in the scandal's aftermath, although five were pardoned later. 
and congressional investigations found no direct evidence of Reagan's involvement, but the president admitted in a televised address in 1987 that he sold arms for hostages. So, yeah, not a good look. Well, and especially since the pardons happened by his successor, who was also his vice president, Mm -hmm. who was also involved in this scandal. Yeah, one of many scandals. Yeah. I think it's interesting, again, kind of an ongoing theme of today's list is like the last, this scandal is just not very sexy for a comedy podcast list, right? Whereas there's more meat on the bone for the illegitimate child. But again, illegitimate child is how they phrased it. I don't mean to keep saying that. But yeah, so it's just different. It's just, uh, it's just different. But that was number three, the Iran-Contra affair. Pop goes the weasel and pop goes this quick podcast recommendation for you. It's the Pretty Much Popped podcast. It's a culture podcast talking about TV, movies, music, games, podcasts, novels, comedy, theater, peanut butter is water. Okay, maybe not some of those. Exploring why and how we consume all these things. How does pop culture even work in a world that is so fragmented and connected? Where is the line between trash and treasure? Pretty much pop brings together philosophers, artists, comedians, and other smart folks to ponder these questions. Most of what people like is pretty weird when you think about it, so thinking about it is what pretty much pop does. You can find Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or find it at prettymuchpop.com. Let's stay in this realm of a president maybe not knowing much, but later on the back end kind of shoots himself in the foot a little bit. Hmm. Not too far before Grover Cleveland scandal. Well, most of the Grant presidency was one scandal or another, but there's Credit Mobile, there's the Whiskey Ring. Let's stop there. This is why I wanted you for this list, because I knew you'd guess this stuff. The Whiskey Ring is number five in the top ten. So, so far you got three, four, and five. (laughs) The Whiskey Ring is President Ulysses S. Grant from 1875. Uh, That's when this scandal was exposed. Exposed in 1875, the Whiskey Ring describes the group of politicians, distillers, distributors, and others who conspired in tax fraud. Whiskey distillers bribed the officials who then helped them evade tax by approving the stamp as if they had paid the full tax fee. However, they would only pay 30 cents to the required 70 cents per gallon. Millions of dollars of bribery were collected until the scheme was revealed. But President Grant called for swift punishment but caused further scandal when he moved to protect his personal secretary who had been implicated in the affair. So, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is Grant was not involved at all in the scandal, but he made himself involved when he unjustly protected his secretary from being trouble. You're nodding, so I got that right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the fascinating thing about the Grant presidency, and there's been so much by lost causers over time and, and this idea of really trying to downgrade what happened in Reconstruction. There were so many great things that were happening in the Grant presidency. There was also so much scandal. And generations upon generations of historians have examined the evidence, have looked to the primary resources, and in every instance, it doesn't seem that Grant was involved, except 
to the fact that he trusted the wrong people. And case in point, this was somebody who was very close to him. He just put his faith in these folks. And typically, there were folks that were involved in the Civil War, that served under him, that he trusted in that respect. He just didn't understand that once you get folks in positions of power, corruption happens. And he just didn't understand that you've got to keep a a tight rein on things to make sure that that doesn't happen. He just trusted these people implicitly. And when scandals were exposed, his knee-jerk reaction was, well, of course, so-and-so didn't do it. I know them. I trust them. Yeah, they were doing it. You can't tie it back to Grant. And especially with Grant at Mm -hmm. the end of his life, you know, he was suffering from cancer, was literally in the process of dying and was writing out his memoirs to make sure that his wife had enough money to be able to sustain herself once he was gone. He didn't end up in a good position financially, so he wasn't directly involved in these scandals, but he unfortunately... He was not one of the top 10 wealthiest presidents. No. (laughs) Spoiler. Absolutely not. And it speaks to, ultimately, as... One of his successors would say, the buck stops here. So he does mm. get charged with his responsibility, his culpability in this. So this is the late 1800s. This is before the U.S. government would kind of take care of the president after presidency, correct? Exactly. When did that begin? You know? I want to say mid-20th century. I could be wrong okay. there, but that seems like about the time that that something like that would happen. It really, and that's the thing, for the longest, the presidents, you know, once you got out of office, well, you're a private citizen again, figure it out. Yeah. That's so wild to think about now. Yeah. Like a president struggling to make ends meet, like after presidency is just, that doesn't happen now. Exactly. And especially with like the earlier presidents and, and granted, you know, on paper they were wealthy, but most of it was locked up in, you know, with their properties, with things that they owned, it wasn't like material wealth. Mm-hmm, right. Some of them struggled in really tragic stories. And one who I think is going to be on this list later on, we end up with so many people that are involved in a president just going down financially. And it's hard mm-hmm. to imagine in the 21st century context because they've got their pay. As a post-president, they've got Secret Service protection. We're just not used to that. It's very different. But how would you summarize Grant's legacy as president in like one or two sentences? His legacy as president, I think he inspired something greater, but also was subject to human faults. I think that's a good way to put it. And... You brought up a point that is valid, I think, which is a lot of the people he trusted were people that he trusted in a military context because of the recent war that he was part of. So it just didn't apply to the presidency. Like one might say, being a celebrity TV host doesn't apply to being president today, but I said I wouldn't go there. Oh, no, I I see direct correlations, direct correlations, (laughs) right? From Grant to Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that was five. Let's do something a little more uh, titillating, a little more naughty, dirty. 
<laughs> okay, you know where my mind is going with this one, and especially since right. it involves my first name, Jerry. Jerry. I'm uh, going to have to go with Warren G. Harding. Warren G. Harding. Oh, if it's not on there, that is not a good list. <laughs> it's number eight. So it is kind of low. But yeah, this, this one is, is really crazy. So Warren G. Harding, president, this, this scandal happened sometime between 1922 and 1924. Again, it's number eight. Though considered as one of the most popular presidents in history, Harding had his share of scandals, foremost of which was called the Teapot Dome Scandal. Is this the one you were thinking? Actually, no. I've got more to talk about with Harding in a minute. But yes, yeah, so oh, let's really? go with Teapot okay. Dome. <laughs> okay. I guess you're right because this one's not very naughty and, <laughs> and sultry. Oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm very curious, sir. But I, I will wait. So, Teapot Dome Scandal. What is that? Doesn't involve a bunch of tea. Instead, the Department of Interior Secretary Albert Fall took control of the oil reserves that were located on federal land in Wyoming. Instead of taking bids from private oil companies to have the right to operate those reserves, Albert Fall took bribes, including gifts, and no interest loans for rights to the Teapot Dome oil fields. It says he took gifts. What, do you, what kind of gifts do you think he's getting? Like a box of chocolates? Is that enough to bribe someone for these oil fields? They had better be really good chocolate. <laughs> box of chocolates was probably a thing. Yeah, 1920s, of course it was, yeah. When smaller oil companies complained about this, the Senate launched one of its most essential investigations in U.S. history. And when the scandal finally broke in 1924, Secretary Albert Fall was said to have pocketed $100,000 in bribe money, which in today's money is probably worth millions. Although President Harding was dead by this time, it hounded his presidency for a long time. And in fact, before another scandal on this list, I'll just say it because we all know it, the Watergate scandal, before that, Teapot Dome was regarded as the greatest and most sensational scandal in the history of American politics. What do you think about that? So, first of all, speaking to Teapot Dome, yes, at the time, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm also thinking of the fact that Teapot Dome was starting to break whenever Harding passed away unexpectedly, and it also wondered whether that may have contributed to his passing away because he was under a great amount of stress. There have also been conspiracy theories, rumors that his death may not have been as natural as one would think. Hmm. Haven't found any validity to that yet. But Harding is the gift that keeps on giving in terms of presidential <laughs> scandals. Because after okay. he passed away, he had one of his mistresses who wrote a tell-all book, to my knowledge, the first tell-all book of a presidential scandal and affair. So Nan Britton was this young lady who had known Harding when he was still, he wasn't president yet, he was still a senator, and she had started up an affair with him when she was quite the junior to his senior. Mm. And he continued the affair with her whenever he became president to the point that they would have relations in whatever cupboard office. or oh. cabinet or whatever they could find. And then the Secret Service would knock on the door, <laughs> would knock on the door, <laughs> Mr. President, your wife is coming. And they would sneak out in one door when Florence Harding was coming in through the next door. Mm. 
she ended up having a child by Harding. Mm. And she wrote this tell-all book. And at the time, nobody believed her. Nobody believed her. No DNA testing at that time. Come to find out, later on, Nan Britton's descendants had DNA testing. Yes, she was Harding's daughter. Mm. So she was right. Also, we have discovered since then, there was a trove of letters that the Harding family made sure were not released to the public until I think it was like five years ago. And it was his love letters with yet another mistress, so not Nan Mm. Britton, another mistress, who was also a German spy during World War I. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Keep keep going. There's that at the end. And. Okay, and. He would use code words for certain Hmm. parts of the body. And one that he used in general and that often comes up whenever any presidential podcast gets to Harding and they tag me on because he referred to his Jerry. Oh, that's what you meant with Jerry. Yes. <laughs> well, listen, I've heard a lot of names for Winkies, including the last time you were here, we talked about Jumbo for, for uh, LBJ. Jerry's way better than Jumbo, right? Yes. We can give that. He talked about the wonderful views from Mount Jerry. <laughs> oh, gross. Did he really say it like that? <laughs> yes. Uh, just what? This should have been on the list instead of this boring ass teapot dome. Just go ahead and look up the Harding letters. Believe me, it's interesting reading. And Danielle Steele, eat your heart out. <laughs> oh, this is incredible. And this guy. First of all, Warden should have been less Harding all the time. Am I right? I had to say. Yes, yes. Appropriate name if you're going to have these kind of scandals going mm-hmm. on. Harding. Yeah. The only name that would have been better is like William Harddick. I don't know. But like, I mean, it's like, how much more on the head could you be? But you know, if, you, if people haven't seen Warren Harding in a while, look him up. He's a handsome man, good looking guy, very manly, kind of masculine, hard look, well, hard look to him, no pun intended. So, I don't know what my point is there, but yeah, he had a lot of mistresses. Was he married to his wife until his death? Do you know? Yes. And she actually spent time after his death and after because he died while he was on a a West Coast tour and she was with him at the time. When she got back to the White House, she spent, I think it was three days burning his papers. Oh, And so we don't even know what other scandals may have been going on that she made sure Mm. we will never know of. But she spent about three days burning his papers. Well, at least she didn't take his papers to their personal home in Florida. But (laughs) I know, right? Again, that's. (laughs) Did she get in trouble for that? Actually, no. Because at that time, that was before we had the National Archives that we do nowadays, and Mm -hmm. we had the laws in place to actually preserve presidential papers. And again, interestingly enough, with whenever you're looking at those 19th century presidents, part of the reason that we don't know as much about some of those presidents is their papers were just, you take them home. Nobody accounted yeah, for them. Right. They didn't go to the Library of Congress or the National Archives. They just went home with them. And at that time, 
if a fire happens or say there's a war and somebody, you know, the invading army comes in and takes over and burns everything, that's how some of those papers just got destroyed and we'll never know what all was in them. I'm going to be Captain Obvious for a minute, but it's crazy to me that we know so much of human history when all of human history was dependent on the written word up until, I don't even know, but very recently. Yeah. So like papers had to survive fires and wars and just moving and conditions and flooding and just for all this time. It's just crazy when you think about it. But something else you said there that uh, stood out is you said that Mr. Hard and his mistress, the first mistress that did the tell-all book, they would go into whatever cabinets or cupboards they could find in the White House, right? Yes. When you think about the White House, you think about all the history that, that is in those walls, but you, you don't really think about all the, all the nasty stuff that's happened in there too, that some we know and some we don't know. Just in every nook and cranny of that White House, there's all kinds of history, let's call it, yes. in there. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that's one thing that I try and talk in, in the podcast about is, you know, this is a very human story and there's so many people mm -hmm. that are involved yep. and the history isn't always great. There are dark parts no, of the history. It usually isn't. Yeah. Yeah. So much dark history in human history. And it's important to understand that as well as the more admirable parts when people do step up. It's important to recognize when they don't as well. Absolutely. At the end of the day, I think it's a good kind of point to underline what you said that all presidents from George Washington on, they might have the statues and the paintings and the reverence of the country, and some don't. Some are hated or whatever, but they're all up on this level because of their position. But at the end of the day, they're all still old, white, horny men that don't make the best decisions or are selfish or are short-sighted, whatever. They're, they're people. And this is a great segue, I think, for number two on this list. I feel like it's the big white elephant in the room that I want to address. What is another sexual affair that affected a recent president, Jerry? A recent president is Bill Clinton mm -hmm. and Monica Lewinsky and a blue dress and a <laughs> <Yeah>. cigar. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's so much to talk about here. This is number two. I think of everything on this list, besides maybe number one, even then I'd argue, this is the one that's had the biggest impact on modern pop culture. More than, I don't know, it's in the top few events of the last however many years, let's call it the last 50 years, that have affected American culture to this degree. It's the affair Mr. Bill Clinton had, listener of the show, with Monica Lewinsky. This happened between 1996 and 1998. The story goes that in 1996, 22-year-old Monica Lewinsky had to move from the White House office to the Pentagon office because of the rising concern she had been too close with President Bill Clinton. The phone conversations between Lewinsky and Linda Tripp revealed that she was having an affair with Clinton. Clinton and Lewinsky made the whole thing even worse as they both denied the relationship publicly. Lying about it presented severe grounds for charges of perjury against Clinton. So there's the affair, and that's bad, that's a scandal. But really what got him in trouble from a legal perspective is the perjury. Eventually, the House of Representatives impeached Clinton for this perjury and obstruction of justice in 1998, but he was able to serve out his term because the Senate acquitted him. 
No, I have more notes, but Jerry, give me your high-level thoughts on this scandal. So again, this is one and kind of dating myself. I remember when all this was happening and was all over the news. Yeah. Even as a teenager at that point, it was just, really? This is, this yeah. is what we're impeaching the president over? Mm-hmm. Not, you know, it seemed like high crimes and misdemeanors involved something else, like, oh, committing treason and inciting mm. insurrection. Nah. Not perjury, but, you know, what do I know? This is your leftist liberal bias coming through, Jerry. It Shame is. On you. It is. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think, well, it's true. Like, <laughs> at the end of the day, a part of me is like, who gives a fuck what he does in his personal life? He didn't harm anybody. It was consensual. But we can't deny, optics-wise, yeah. PR-wise, it's a bad look for the president. It makes some people say, well, he clearly has uh, not the best judgment in character. So can we really trust this guy to run our country? And it gets to, and here we have the obverse from Cleveland just owning it and saying from the very beginning, you know, yep, the sit, let's move forward, to it was the denial that really got Clinton in trouble. If he would have just said, mm-hmm. you know, this is the situation. And Granted, so much of the facts of this, it was a very personal affair. It was something that, that could have been handled in any other respect would have been handled. Right. Didn't need to be a media circus. Yeah. Really. But the denial of, yeah. fed the machine and fed the scandal and fed the circus. It became so much larger than it really should have. And... Mm-hmm. It did have an impact on, I would say, arguably, it had an impact on U.S. presidential history since then. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. I was in like the second or third grade when this was going down. And even I remember it being everywhere at that time. And my parents talking about it and hearing about it at school. Because you could not turn on TV or look at a newspaper or whatever, turn on the radio without hearing about this at all times. So, what happened, though? Clinton, he was impeached by the House, but the Senate acquitted him. So, nothing happened there. But he was held in civil contempt of court by Judge Susan Weber Wright for giving misleading testimony in the Paula Jones case regarding Lewinsky, and he was fined $90,000. His license to practice law, because he's a lawyer, was suspended in Arkansas for five years, and shortly thereafter, he was disbarred from presenting cases in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. The scandal is sometimes referred to as Monica Gate, Lewinsky Gate, Tailgate, Sexgate, and Zippergate, following the gate construction that has been used since Watergate. Have you ever heard to it called Zippergate? I can't say that I've ever heard Zippergate, but I think I'm going to run with that. <laughs> no, don't. Please don't. We need less Zippergate references Zippergate. <laughs> Zippergate sounds like something that happened to me in sixth grade when I, my zipper broke on my jeans at school and I was freaking out for the day. It does not sound like the biggest media circus presidential scandal in all of history, but what do I know? Just being high-pitched for a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are worse things, but there are better things too, including not being impeached as a president. Yeah. But at least he wasn't impeached twice. Because <laughs> that's never happened. <laughs> I think every single scandal so far 
Even though Trump is not on this list, we have tied it back to a current Trumpism. It's just the world we live in. Yes. All right. There's another president that was impeached on this list. Yes. So let's go with Andrew Johnson. I'm interested to see where he is on this list. Yeah, he's, he's actually number 10, way at the bottom. So he still made the list, but he's at the bottom of the list. Um, you thought it might be higher? Always interesting, especially opinion-based list. It's yeah. trying to know who's familiar with what scandal and to what extent. And this one was one of the really bigger ones. And especially considering that before Clinton, this was the only president that was impeached. That's right. Yeah. It's become a more modern phenomenon. But for the longest, Andrew Johnson was the only president who was actually had actually gone through the impeachment process. And that's a big deal. And did we mention that Trump was impeached twice? I can't remember if we mentioned that. I think we should. He was impeached yeah. twice. <laughs> yes. I'm okay with you running with that, but not zipper. <laughs> Andrew Johnson was an asshole and he was impeached in 1867. After the assassination of Abe Lincoln in 1865, the then Vice President Andrew Johnson took over the presidency and moved into the White House. Johnson was in strong opposition to giving the freed slaves the right to vote, as well as many other efforts of the Reconstruction period, which the slave thing, the slave issue was so fresh, like the Civil War would just happen. The uh, Proclamation of Emancipation, I think I have that right, right? Yeah, the Emancipation Proclamation. That, okay, that. That one. Thank you. <laughs> that had just happened. Lincoln had just been assassinated. And this asshole's coming out and saying, eh, I don't agree with all that stuff that just happened. Was this during the era where the opponent in the presidential election was made the vice president to the winner? Actually, no. Okay. And that's the thing about Andrew Johnson that is so fascinating. If you, and it also speaks to the, the lack of importance that people attribute it to the vice presidency at the time. Andrew Johnson, you look at his entire career and you can pretty much guess how he's going to end up as president. He had a brief period of time because he was, I believe, the only Southern senator who did not walk out of the Senate whenever his state seceded. Mm. He stayed in the Senate because he believed in the Union. And so that was, you know, positive number one for him. Okay. Two, he was assigned as the military governor of Tennessee whenever Union forces were able to retake part of it, and including the capital of Nashville. And he delivered this speech at one point, and he seemed to evidence that he was going to be favorable to enslaved individuals who were being newly freed. Mm-hmm. And it went something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something that I would like to be the Moses to your people. I would like to lead you into freedom. And so when it came time for the election of 1864. fucking statement, by the way. I know. It's just like so over the top. Back in the day, they could get rather over the top with these speeches. But <laughs> I mean, they didn't have TV at that point. They needed entertainment of some sort. They needed to entertain themselves. Yeah. yeah. But the election of 1864 came up and there were legitimate concerns that George McClellan, who was the Democratic candidate and who was seen as somebody who would just end the war and allow the union to remain divided, was going to win. 
And so Lincoln supporters and Lincoln himself start thinking, okay, well, who's somebody who can draw support from McClellan? We need somebody who's a Democrat. Okay. Oh, there's this guy, Andrew Johnson, who seems very pro-union, and he's been saying some good things lately, and he's just going to be vice president. What damage can he do? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, then, and then you get shot in the head in the theater, and now this vice president, who's kind of just sitting on the sidelines, is now making the decisions that doesn't sound like he was, once he became president, trying to be the Moses to the enslaved people anymore. No. But. There was less vetting done for him than the McCain campaign did on Sarah Palin. So there we go. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Sarah Palin. Man, I haven't thought about her in a while. I liked it that way. Let's keep it that way. Uh, so Johnson, yeah, he uh, opposed having freed slaves, giving them the right to vote, among other things. So he was constantly butting heads in Congress, mainly with the radical Republicans who had the majority. They managed to pass the Tenure of Office Act in 1867, which forbade Johnson to fire Edwin Stanton, the Secretary of War, without Senate approval. But Andrew Johnson did it anyway, firing that guy anyway, which entered him in a long impeachment trial. So my last note is that Congress was left one vote short of having the two-thirds majority to confirm the impeachment. So does that mean he was impeached, but he continued his term, much like Clinton did? Yeah, so basically with impeachment, and to date, no president has actually been removed by the impeachment process. Basically, the House votes to impeach, and then it goes to a trial in the Senate, and the Senate has to vote to remove the president. And to date, that has not happened. But in this case, it was that slam of a vote. Mm Mm-hmm. It really came to, there were a few key votes that if Johnson would have lost any one of them, then he would have been removed as president. Now, granted, it was towards the end of his term, but it would have still set a huge Mm -hmm. precedent. Now, to be fair, there was precedent. Of course, a president, if they can put somebody in office, if they can nominate them, of course they could fire them. There had been instances of that before, and so it was a shaky argument, and that's really what saw Johnson through. Mm. If they would have been able to come up with any other charge that would have been more high crime and misdemeanor. How about we just don't like the way he looks? Because he's a, just a mean-looking guy. Like, oh, yeah. If you look at a picture of him, he just looks like a guy that is yelling at kids to get off his lawn. Not that he's like super old, but... I mean, I guess he was kind of old. You, you hear bitter party of one, bitter party of one, and <laughs> yeah. that is Andrew Johnson. <laughs> yeah. He is frowning in every single photo that I can find. Yes. He's just not a pleasant looking guy. Talked a lot about impeachment and impeaching on this episode. I've seen a lot of impeachment trial footage, and I don't remember seeing a single peach. <laughs> no. You don't have to laugh at that. It's okay. But you don't have to laugh at that. They are sparing of peaches at impeachment. <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone for that joke. All right, so let's (laughs) do a quick recap of where we sit. Uh, Number 10 is the last one we just talked about, Andrew Johnson's impeachment. Number eight was the Teapot Dome scandal with Warren Harding. Number five, the Whiskey Ring with Ulysses S. Grant. Four, Grover Cleveland and his illegitimate child. Three, the Iran-Contra affair with Ronald Reagan. And two, the Monica Lewinsky and President Bill Clinton affair. 
Before you give another guess, I wanted to read a few responses I got on Twitter. Uh, maybe this will kind of give you some uh, guidance on what to guess next. Because I asked on my Twitter at the Nick Amel, I said, "When I say the phrase presidential scandal, what's the first thing you think of?" So of course we had several people bring up Trump, which, as we know, is not on this list. But my sidekick host, Dr. Buster, answered that the correct answer is Watergate. We're going to get to Watergate. Simon at Precise Path said, That time they promised emergency funding for those with homes destroyed in record bushfires, but instead funneled millions into their own church. Oh, wait, that's an Australian prime minister scandal. (laughs) So, never mind. When I was saying that, were you like, now which president is this? I don't remember this one. (laughs) I was wondering if it was the previous president. (laughs) Obama? The one that we've mentioned a few times. (laughs) Oh, Trump. Okay. Yes. It wouldn't surprise me. At Expensef on Twitter just said, this is a direct quote, blowjobs. <laughs> Which I think that's, I hope that's referring to the Clinton scandal and not, I don't know, not the Iran-Contra scandal with Reagan. I will go ahead and say quite a few of them have gotten those, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in one of those cabinets. Exactly. <laughs> So this one comes from the magic number is three when it comes to TV, and the host of that pod will be on a bonus episode with me later this month, so shout out. But he said, it makes me think of the time Barack Obama and Joe Biden were traveling and had to stop in the Atlanta airport. In a pinch, they grabbed hot dogs and were in such a hurry that one of them ate their hot dog directly over a trash can. Secret Service would never confirm which one. (laughs) Now, I'm trying to remember the scandal. I don't remember the exact details, but I have to think that since Biden was the sidekick president at the time, (laughs) probably most likely that he was the one eating the hot dog over the trash can. What do you think, Jay? I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it seems like a sidekick sort of thing to do. And my last one here comes from Irving at Irving underscore A08. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Which again is Clinton. So yeah, if, by the way, I'm going to start reading responses like this more often on future episodes, so definitely encourage you to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TheNickAmel, and I'll read your responses in the future. Jerry, why don't you give me another guess? Well, we've mentioned it a couple of times, so let's just go ahead and go there. The gate that started all the gates. Watergate. Watergate. Has to be number one, right? Has to be. This is an opinion list, but I think the number one and two is as like objective as it can be as far as national interest, which is number one, Watergate scandal, number two, Clinton scandal. So the Watergate scandal is number one, Richard Nixon, 1972. The scandal of Watergate under the term of President Richard Nixon completely changed the landscape of contemporary politics, and it is probably the most referenced presidential scandal in U.S. history. I don't think there's any arguing that. Five members of Nixon's re-election campaign broke into Democratic headquarters in the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. The goal was to collect information that could be used in the campaign. Nixon supposedly did not know about the plans for the break-in, but he did everything to cover it up afterward. Further digging revealed that the break-ins were part of a widespread campaign of political spying and sabotage of Nixon's political opponents, which included wiretapping, burglaries, and the president's own secret recordings. Eventually, the news broke out about his involvement only to cause a great shock all over the nation. And there's more to this story, but I'm going to pause there. Watergate, Jerry, tell me about it. 
And so this is where you really get to that massive media coverage. We've had some that have happened before. And yeah, you know, you would have the newspapers. You, Whenever you get to the television era, you may have some television spots on it. But this was really... The public was immersed in this presidential scandal for the first time. And again, just like with the Clinton scandal, we're still dealing with the ramifications of Watergate to this day because it completely shook the public's opinion and trust and confidence in government. It exposed the dirtier parts of what was going on, and especially with Richard Nixon and especially... Just, you have this man that is... Talk about a grump. Oh. Just a grumpy guy. <laughs> and just completely paranoid. You know, here oh, this yeah. was, yeah. 1972, he was running against George McGovern, of all people. I mean, McGovern did not have a chance of winning, and still, this is the scandal that brought him down, was breaking right. into the DNC headquarters to find dirt on McGovern. It was like, <laughs> well, maybe he thought, well, governs in the name. How could he lose? I got to take him down. <laughs> I know, right? But he just, he always saw. It ruined him. Yeah. From that point forward. It yeah. completely ruined him. It completely shattered him. And the tapes, oh my gosh, the presidential tapes, really, you get the sense of a president that is just, he was never really strung that tightly to begin with, but. As this goes on, it just, you see a person breaking down. You hear a person yep. breaking down. It was unprecedented at the time. We saw some Twitter responses to that too that I just read, but I think it is the go-to scandal for yeah. not just presidents, but if you hear the word scandal, most people think Watergate. Generations go on, that'll probably shift, but, and I mentioned how grumpy he looks and he's a grumpy ass looking man. But Andrew Johnson was also a grumpy looking dude. Who do you think is the bigger grump between the two? Who's grouchier, Andrew Johnson or uh, Richard Nixon? Nixon, for sure. Nixon, (laughs) at at least Johnson had a personality at some points, but Nixon Mm. was just, oh, Nixon was just all grump. (laughs) And those jowls. Oh, yeah. I am not a crook. (laughs) We're keeping the damn dog. That was pretty good. (laughs) And that picture of him raising his arms. One hell of an ass, though. (laughs) All right. So what happened after Watergate? Some 69 government, oh, baby, 69 government officials were eventually charged in connection with the broader scandal, including much of Nixon's inner circle. Nixon himself resigned under under the threat of impeachment in 1974. And he is the only U.S. president in history to have resigned from office. And on September 8th, 1974, Nixon's successor, Gerald Ford, pardoned him. The use of the suffix gate after an identifying term, like I mentioned, with a zipper gate and all the other shit with Clinton, that kind of verbiage originated with, obviously, the Watergate scandal. Is the Watergate Hotel still a thing? Like, can you go there? I believe it is still there. Yeah. Yeah. Is it still operating as a hotel? I believe so. But while you're looking that up, fun fact. Mm Mm-hmm. The reason that Gerald Ford became president, so Spiro Agnew was actually Nixon's elected vice president. He was involved in his own scandal, had to resign. 
Gerald Ford was actually chosen and was confirmed as vice president under a new system that was set up at that point because before then, nobody cared if the vice president was there or not. They would have so many vacancies. But he was actually um, confirmed as vice president. So he is to date the only president who was not elected as president or vice president. Now that is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I think Gerald Ford turned out pretty okay, right? How do we feel about Gerald Ford as a president? I would say the 76 election was one of the rare times in American history where you had two people who really were genuinely devoted to trying to do the right thing. They had different ideas on what that was. Well, you mean until 2020 with Trump, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I couldn't help it, sorry. (laughs) You were saying, though? But they were both good people and just trying to do the right thing. Didn't always do the right thing, but tried and had a genuine idea of public service. And... So, yeah, Ford and Carter. Mm-hmm. And politics is just so far removed from that now. Oh, yes. <laughs> so far removed. Very just, much so. <laughs> just a game at this point. Just a stupid, stupid game that we're all paying for. But, yeah, the, the thought of one, much less two, genuinely good people running for office, very foreign concept these days. But hopefully again someday after America self-destructs in the next few decades that's bound to happen. Maybe when we rebuild, we can find that peace again. So you got the big one, Watergate at number one. I think you just need six, seven, nine. Yes. Okay, so let's go back a bit and see if the Petticoat War is one of those. Andrew Johnson. No. Okay. Would Bay of Pigs be considered a scandal? Yeah, I was wondering the same. I don't think it's considered a scandal on this list. Should it? Maybe. Don't know. But it's not. Let's see. Two of these three remaining scandals involve a lady. One has to do with, mm, let's call it the election process. Okay, the election process, I think think I may know that one. The election of 1876 and Rutherford B. Hayes or Rutherford as they called him. I love that nickname. No, this is, it is the 1800s, but it's about 50 years before that. Hmm. Roughly. Okay. So that would be with John Quincy Adams and Henry Mm -hmm. Clay. Yeah. This is the corrupt bargain at number seven. John Quincy Adams in 1828, that's when this came out at least, none of the candidates in the 1824 election managed to win the majority of votes, so the race was up to Congress to decide. That's a great position to be in where Congress is choosing our president. Heaven help us all. (laughs) (laughs) Really. Let's hope that never happens again. The candidates in question were President Andrew Jackson, a war hero, and President John Quincy Adams, son of the founding father, President John Adams. Before the vote in Congress, sorry, but speak about another grumpy ass man, John Quincy Adams, <laughs> right? <laughs> Look him up. Uh, talk about a, uh, just a Oscar the Grouch. Which Andrew Jackson wasn't too much better. In no, either, they, so. yeah, they're all like that. Yeah. 
Okay, so before the vote in Congress, Henry Clay announced he was going to support Adams. And since Clay was a very powerful House Speaker, the House followed and elected Adams president. But to everyone's disbelief, Adams then made Clay his Secretary of State. But then Andrew Jackson won the popular vote, so he and his supporters united in disagreement with the, quote, corrupt bargain between Adams and Clay that helped elect Jackson in 1828. So... The story is that uh, John Quincy Adams was kind of finagled his way into the presidency. Would you agree with that? Yes and no. Okay. Well, first of all, I will go ahead and say that the Jackson camp also reached out to Clay. And that's something that the Jackson camp made sure wasn't part of the narrative. But yes, they did reach out to Clay as well and tried to make a bargain with him. Now, with that... Henry Clay was already at that point, he had served as a diplomat. He actually served in the peace commission that formed the Treaty of Ghent, which ended the War of 1812. So he already had some credentials as a proven diplomat. John Quincy Adams had served on the same commission. They already had an established relationship. They knew that they could work together. So natural inclination of course he's going to bring Clay into his cabinet. And of course, he's going to get a prominent position. So it was really overblown. Also, it should be noted, technically, that was the system at the time. And part of the problem was you had all these people running. You had John Quincy Adams. You had Henry Clay. You had Andrew Jackson. You also had William Crawford of Georgia, who had actually suffered a debilitating stroke, but still ended up in third place past Henry Clay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Everybody knew what was going on with Crawford, and still you had all these people voting for Crawford over the perfectly healthy Henry Clay. So you can imagine how Henry Clay felt about this. Yeah. The guy that has the stroke is getting more support than you, despite your credentials in helping to end the War of 1812. And it still didn't stop Henry Clay from running every other presidential election after that. Did he really? And he, okay. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Learn to take a hint, Henry. (laughs) We're not into you. But it worked out for him here because he became the Secretary of State. Yes, Secretary of State for John Quincy Adams because they kind of made a backroom deal. Hey, you support me and I'll... And nothing... They didn't do anything legally wrong. Nope. But the corrupt bargain that we've been talking about, the group was the foundation of political actors who would later form the Democratic Party. So that's an interesting little piece of trivia. Yep. Democratic Party was born from this corrupt bargain. Because four years after that election, Andrew Jackson would be brought in, he would win the popular vote, he would win the electoral Mm -hmm. vote handedly, and he would be brought into the presidency, and it became this coalition of folks from across the nation, including future president Martin Van Buren, who in the 1824 election had actually supported Crawford. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Wait, Martin Van Buren came after... Yeah, so Uh, Martin Van Buren, so it was JQA, Jackson, and then Martin Van Buren. Okay. I always know Van Buren is number eight because of a Seinfeld episode, but (laughs) I won't get into it. 
The Van Buren the Van boys. Van Buren boys, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. All right, so you just got number nine and six, and they both have to do with some lady troubles. I'm fairly certain this one is on the list. Sally Hemings. Yeah. The Sally Hemings scandal is number nine. This one is so interesting to me. So in 1802, Thomas Jefferson, he's the third U.S. president. He was a widower, but in 1782. So this is actually, I think, before he was president, right? But hardly single. He fell in love with Sally Hemings, who was his, who was his servant and of mixed race, which, of course, shouldn't matter. But in the 1700s, that was a big deal. In fact, I took this directly from Wikipedia. Sarah Sally Hemings was an enslaved woman with one-quarter African ancestry owned by the President of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, one of many he inherited from his father-in-law, John Wales. Yep. So Jefferson owned this woman that he began an affair with. (laughs) The scandal did not break out in real time as its details were revealed years later when a journalist broke the story in 1802. It turned out that Jefferson and Hemings were together for more than 30 years and had six children. But like, I think it was Harding you mentioned earlier with the DNA testing, this debate raged on until 1998 when DNA testing became available and tests showed that Jefferson was likely to have fathered at least one of Sally Hemings' children. So that's confirmed. But it's just such a crazy story to me that this president owned a slave and began an affair with her, which obviously that stuff happened all the time back then, but it's just, I don't know, stood out to me. And a few other details in this. So, first of all, Sally Hemings was actually the daughter of John Wales. So, she was the half-sister of Jefferson's wife. Great. (laughs) Yeah. That was pretty much understood. You know, it was understood that the Hemings family had a special relationship with the family. Now, with that, when the relationship between Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings began, they were actually in Paris. It was when Jefferson was serving as the U.S. Minister to France. Mm -hmm. At that point in France, enslaved individuals could go to a court and apply for their freedom. And it is believed that her and her brother, her brother had been brought to be trained as a French chef for Jefferson. Of course, he loved food and wine and all that. It's believed that they knew that that was a possibility. So it's also believed that Jefferson made a deal with them to come back to the United States, knowing that if they came back, this deal could be null and void. There was no legal precedent to it. But... James, her brother, would be given his freedom after he had trained another enslaved individual. And for Sally's part, it was understood that she would be there, her children would be set free, she would be provided for for the rest of her life, and her children were set free. Two of the children, quote-unquote, escaped before Jefferson's death, but they quote-unquote, escaped in arrangements that were made by Jefferson. He made sure that they had money and they escaped. He took care of them. They were able to pass as white. And so we know nothing about after that point. They faded into Mm. society. 
and had to. You know, it wasn't that they could say, oh, we're Jefferson's children. They had to completely cut off all contact from their family. The other two, there were provisions in Jefferson's will to free them. And one of those, Madison Hemings, later wrote an account of being Jefferson's son. And for so long, this was out there and historians denied it. They were like, oh, well, this Uh is just... This is fake. This is just rumor. This is innuendo. And then you get to the 90s and you have the DNA testing and you finally have validation of what Madison Hemings had said nearly 100 years before. Yeah. Yeah. It was because, of course, well, you can't trust the account of a woman saying that she's the president's mistress. You can't trust the account of this black man who is saying that he's the president's son. And it shows the importance of judging and and being aware of where the history is coming from and the biases that go into the writing of history. It is important to understand that because there's so much history that we're uncovering, quote unquote, uncovering. It's been there. It just takes looking at it and trusting the source. It's incredible that we can do DNA testing to connect someone that died 150 something years before. But yeah, that, that stuff happens and will continue to happen. But yeah, it's, uh, it was a big scandal at the time, enough to get it number nine on this list. But it's also interesting to think that there's this whole bloodline from Jefferson that's out there that probably don't even know it. Yeah. All right. So that was number nine. You just need number six. Who's another president that had some woman woes? Oh, gosh. Woman woes. There's a lot of them. (laughs) I know. Which one? (laughs) It says 1900s. Early 1900s. Early 1900s. Okay, so would it be Woodrow Wilson? Woodrow Wilson. Now, what happened with Woodrow Wilson, Jerry? What's the scandal? (laughs) In the modern context, it's, this is a scandal. It's really not a big deal. <laughs> so basically, uh, Wilson's first wife, Ellen, passed away. And so he was a widower and ended up starting to date a woman because, I mean, it happens. That happens, yeah. Ended up marrying her. and Edith Galt. It, Edith Galt. And she was a divorcee. And so that was considered scandalous that's pretty much it (laughs) yeah but the thing that i think fueled the the flame on the or whatever fan the whatever you fucking get it the scandal went to such an extent that there were even rumors saying wilson murdered his first wife so he could marry edith which obviously that's almost certainly not true yeah but just people kind of ran with stuff like that like oh my god he's remarrying I mean, who gives a, who gives a fuck? How I mean, dare he? <laughs> it's just incredible. And again, you compare that to our friend Trump. <laughs> Look at all the stuff he's done as it relates to extramarital affairs and the things he said. And he got in no trouble for any of that. But President Wilson is getting raked over the coals because he remarried. Actually, I take it back. I was, I was looking up. I was trying to remember if she was a divorcee. She actually, her husband passed away 
But still, that was considered part of the scandal. It was like, okay, well, maybe they had like a, a murder cult thing. Yeah, maybe she murdered stupid. her husband. He murdered his wife. Really? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's just two adults marrying each other. And yeah. because we need a scandal for the news cycle, let's latch onto this. They're looking for that stuff. Yeah. But Edith Galt, who became Edith Wilson, this, the woman in this so-called scandal, she played an influential role in President Wilson's administration following his severe stroke in October 1919. For the remainder of her husband's presidency, she managed the office of the president, a role she later described as a stewardship and determined which communications and matters of state were important enough to bring to the attention of the bedroom president. And that's interesting for a lot of reasons, but one of which being we kind of, in a way, had a woman president for a time, even if not officially. Yeah. And it becomes, you know, thinking of the presidency and the fact that the role of first lady is not an elected role. You know, no right. way, shape, or form is, is that an official role. And here you had somebody who was technically controlling the movers and shakers and what was happening mm -hmm. in the government. Mm -hmm. And it's, granted, thank goodness it was Edith Wilson, but... Could have been bad. That could go very wrong very fast. <laughs> now, First Lady is not an elected role, but maybe it should be. Maybe we should bring back, <laughs> we should decide who the president marries. What do you think, Jerry? Should we advocate for that? There we go. That, that would add an extra twist to this. <laughs> that sounds like a better zipper gate than the Clinton thing, but I'm no zipper expert. Well, Jerry, you did it. You got the top 10. You got them all. Uh, I didn't even have to give you that many guesses, so kudos to you. Let's go back through the top 10. We had number 10, President Andrew Johnson's impeachment. Number nine, the Sally Hemings scandal with Thomas Jefferson. Number eight, the Teapot Dome scandal with Warren Harding. Infinitely less interesting than Harding's many sexual affairs. <laughs> number seven was the corrupt bargain that got John Quincy Adams the presidency. Number six is the last one we talked about, Woodrow Wilson and his very naughty engagement. Number five was the Whiskey Ring with Ulysses S. Grant. Number four is Grover Cleveland and his illegitimate child. Number three is the Iran-Contra affair with Ronald Reagan. Number two, the Monica Lewinsky and President Clinton affair, also known as Zippergate. And number one is the rightful number one, I think, Watergate. What do you think? How do you feel about this list? Do you think, do you agree with the ranking? Are there any scandals that for sure fire should have been in the top 10? And if so, what scandals should they have knocked out of the top 10? I probably would have moved around the list a little bit. The Wilson quote unquote scandal. Yeah, I don't think that belongs not in Not really a scandal. Not really a scandal. Yeah. There's, there's other stuff that is more scandalous. And yeah, there are so many presidential scandals to discuss. <laughs> It can be a scandalous office. <laughs> Every president has a scandal, even if they're stupid little scandals like the Wilson thing. Like, someone on the planet Earth could point to each president and say, well, remember this scandal? And yeah, but there, there's just so much to talk about there. And that's why I love doing presidential episodes. I've done a bunch of them now, because you can talk about these guys in so many different ways. For example... Today we did the scandals, but I did the wealthiest presidents with you. Before that, me and Brandon did the heaviest presidents, the smartest presidents, the worst presidents, the best presidents. If you're listening, definitely you should check those out. Just do a search for the word president in your podcast app. Under Tension Podcast, you'll find it. The one with Jerry was episode 168. 
But Jerry, as the listeners know by now, you really showed off your presidential knowledge. I think this is a good time for you to tell the folks more about your podcast, where they can find it, and what's coming up on it. Absolutely. The Presidencies of the United States has been around since 2017. We examine presidential history starting from the very beginning, but with my take, it's A, a deep dive, and B, trying to understand not just the president, but all the people around the president. And these may be people that you've never heard of, that have been forgotten by history, but also played an important role in presidential history. And likewise with the presidents, as we've seen today, presidents are people too. They have their flaws, even the ones that are put up on the pedestals. And so I really try and break that down and bring the humanity back to the story. So I would recommend if you are interested in presidential history, if you're interested in just human stories, come to presidencies. We've got so many. I've actually started a new series in the past year or so examining the lives and legacies of the cabinet members. Again, even for those folks that you may have never heard of, we've got some fascinating stories to tell you. So check out Presidencies of the United States anywhere fine podcasts can be found. Uh, You can also check out the website at presidenciespodcast.com. And I hope you'll join me on this amazing journey through presidential history. Every episode is incredibly well-researched. Lots of little fun facts and trivia sprinkled throughout. And you go really deep into presidential history. It's not just the high-level stuff. So if anyone is interested in presidential history or American history in general, have to listen to presidencies of the United States. I will come to your house and I will hold you down and make you listen to it. If you want, it's the app you're listening to my voice on now. You can find it there. And there's also going to be a link in the show notes of this episode. Take you directly to Jerry's website. Cool. Well, Jerry, a great time as always. And we'll have to have you back on again soon. Look forward to it, Nick. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you to the listeners. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Follow us and let me know on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. On all of those, it's at Tennis Pod. We also have a subreddit. It's r slash Tennis Pod, the Tennis Pod subreddit. There's a link in the show notes for that as well. Every week, there's an episode discussion thread. You can go there, join the subreddit, and comment with your thoughts on this episode. I'd love to know what you thought and if there's any scandals we didn't mention that you were waiting to hear. With that, I will be back next week, episode 194. Who's it with? I'm looking. Oh, we're talking aliens next week. Oh, I'm so excited for that. The host of Our Strange Skies will be here to talk aliens, so do not miss that. And until next time, I'm Nick. He's Jerry. Presidents suck. Some are good. A lot of them suck. This is the Tennis Podcast. Thanks for listening. What's your favorite breakfast food? How about your favorite animal? Your favorite color? Your favorite way to bathe? I want to know. But if you want to know, well, me and my real life pals, Dr. Buster and Alex Johns, we recently had a three-way, oh baby, episode where we revealed our on-the-spot answers to our favorite stuff in more than 20 categories. Listen to this new bonus episode now, exclusively for Tennis Pod Plus members. You can easily sign up to listen at TennisPod.com plus, or if you're an Apple Podcast listener, tap the Try Free button at the top of our Apple page. When you do that, you'll instantly unlock a free seven-day trial to Tennis Pod Plus. 
Tennis Pod Plus features new exclusive bonus episodes like this one every month. Not only that, but you'll get early and ad-free access to all of our main episodes like the one you're listening to now. Listen to the new three-way, oh baby, episode with me, Buster, and Alex now at TennisPod.com slash P-L-U-S or on Apple Podcasts. You can also just check the show notes for a direct link. Do it now and you'll never have to hear another shitty ad like this one again.